0: Alright, welcome everyone to the holiday special of the Ben and Corey podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, joined as always by my partner Benjamin Carlson. We have a fun episode for you today as we put a festive twist on our usual sports talk. So with that, let's get started.
1: With two weeks remaining in the NFL season, every team has plenty of items on their wish list for Santa Claus. The two of us hand out some Christmas gifts to teams through the league, as some are hoping for that missing piece to help them finish the season strong, while others are longing for a new toy to help them look forward to next year and make 2019 special.
0: The offseason and the first couple months of the NBA regular season have been filled with lots of trades, drama, and releases. We'll check in on some dirty Santas that have defined the 2018-19 season and determine what we can expect from these players, coaches, and teams as we enter the new year.
1: We also bring back the segment Head of the Line with a holiday spin as we introduce some of the major sports headlines from the past couple weeks in the form of Christmas carols.
0: And in honor of the upcoming new year, we count down the best sports moments of 2018 in today's top five. Right, so let 's get started by talking about the NFL
1: Well, and- actually, Corey, before we get anything started i want to I want to interrupt really quick since this is our christmas episode i 've actually prepared myself a mug of um, hot cocoa here to uh, enjoy during the episode, and of course, I wanted to get this sound uh, recorded i 've got uh, a little bit of ready whip here, so uh, if, if you don't mind i 'm going to uh and now I'm ready to start our Christmas episode.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah, that is a, a great way to, to get us into that, Ben. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're going to hand out some some Christmas gifts to uh, some various teams throughout the league. We have, we have five gifts that we're giving out in the NFC, five in the AFC. Uh, a few teams are receiving the same gift. So let's get into that. And Ben, why don't you start off with our first NFC gift?
1: Our first NFC gift is for the Saints, Rams, and Bears. And our gift to them is home field advantage in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I think for all three of these teams, having that number one seed and being able to have the road to the Super Bowl go through their stadiums is so huge, especially when you just look at the matchups of these teams, the Saints in the Superdome, uh, having Drew Brees play in that weather, he would much rather do that than have to go to Chicago and you know what the Rams did when they played in Chicago a few weeks ago. So they definitely do not want to have to go there. That, for me, is why the Bears really would like to have home field advantage, which it's a little more of a stretch. You know, They would need to win out, and they would need the, uh, the Saints to lose out with the Rams losing to either the uh, Cardinals or the 49ers set in the season. But uh, for me, uh, I definitely think that whoever ends up with the number one seed will be in the driver's seat to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl.
1: Well, I think if we've learned anything this regular season is that the Saints are so rather the uh, Rams really need home field advantage. We have seen a different Rams team in some away losses this year, and they I think if, if anyone would appreciate this gift, it would be them the most.
0: I agree, and I think the Rams maybe have the, the worst home field uh, advantage uh, compared to the Saints and the Bears, but I think yes, because of that, they, there's just no way they're going to go into uh, New Orleans or Chicago like they did in the regular season and pull out a win. So I guess um, on the topic of the Rams, our next gift is for the Eagles, who defeated them this past week in a surprise upset in L.A., put the Eagles at seven and seven and keep their playoff hopes alive. And the gift we're giving the Eagles is two losses to end the season, seven to nine and outside of the playoff picture.
1: It's, it's actually kind of crazy when Nick Foles steps in and plays heroically the way he does. I'm definitely a fan of it. Don't get me wrong. But if the Eagles want to be on the straight and narrow next season and know who's going to be leading this team, I think it's beneficial for them to end this year uh, with two performances from Nick Foles that say, I'm not the guy moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think after last season, you know, Eagles fans, they got a Super Bowl out of it. Carson Wentz was having an MVP season. Foles didn't play well the final three regular season games that he was inserted into uh, before you know, really picking things up in the NFC Championship game against the Vikings and ultimately winning Super Bowl MVP. But, you know, if he already beat the Rams, if he goes out and beats the Texans who are most ugly going to the playoffs and then knocks off division rival Redskins and get, get the help they need from, you know, whether it's Seattle, Minnesota, or even Dallas falling off to get into the playoffs... I don't think the Eagles want to have a quarterback controversy, knowing that they put invested so much in Carson Wentz and to have him go from uh, an MVP candidate last season to really struggling in his return from that torn ACL this year. I think it would be uh, much beneficial for the Eagles to not even worry about that and go into next year with a clean slate with Carson Wentz.
1: Right. It's just the way that Carson Wentz has played. He definitely came back to earth this year and you know how those Philly fans are. If we start next season, if Nick Foles, you know, takes them into the playoffs this year, then they start next season. Carson Wentz starts to, uh, you know, have a, have some troubles. Those fans are going to be calling for Nick Foles, and that does not usually work out when you've got two guys that people are asking to start. So I, I think these two losses would be a welcome gift for the Eagles. So moving forward, but staying in the NFC East, our next gift is for the Giants and the Redskins, and uh, that gift is new quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, so these two teams are in uh, similar boats of needing a new quarterback, but having different reasons for them. Eli Manning has won two Super Bowls. He's become a Giants legend in the past, but at this point, he's made it clear that he is no longer the, the potential Hall of Fame quarterback that he has been throughout his career. There was a little bit of a, a resurgence by him, uh, particularly in their uh, 41 point showing against the Redskins in week 14. But then to come out and get shut out at home by the Titans, I think it's clear that they need to move on. While the Redskins, Alex Smith, he suffered a devastating injury. It's very unknown what we're going to see from him the rest of his career, if he even has a career in the NFL. So I think Washington this year, they got hit by a lot of injuries. None were worse than losing Smith and, uh, Mark Sanchez, Josh Johnson, they, you know, Sanchez certainly didn't get it done. Johnson's looked okay, but he's a guy who hasn't played in four years before this season. I think that if you, if you can give Washington a chance to, you know, get a, get a quarterback in the draft, probably the Giants get a quarterback in the draft as well. These are two teams that could be in much better uh, shape to take down Dallas and Philly next year.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you've said. Like the, the Giants obviously have all those amazing offensive weapons. It, it almost seems like, I mean, every time you see Iman and go out there, you're like, what is he doing wrong? Why can't he make something happen with all these weapons at his disposal? Uh, but, but also, the Redskins, I wouldn't say that their offense is even remotely similar to the Giants, but their defense has a lot of key parts on it. They've got two big Alabama defensive linemen. They've got. Ruben Foster waiting in the wings to start at middle linebacker for them if that ever happens. But more importantly, they have haha Clinton Dix, DJ Swearinger and Josh Norman making up what has the potential to be a really good secondary. So a really good place for a quarterback to go if that defense can stay healthy and, and stay on the front foot uh, would be a nice place to to, to start off as a rookie. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think both of these teams, it's time to move on. I don't as, as bad as the the reports were out of the hospital with Alex Smith having all these complications and uh, infections in his leg. Maybe it's time to call it a career. Alex Smith has had a pretty Amazing NFL career, and I, it's definitely not shameful for him to say, you know what, I still want to be able to walk when this is all said and done. So, new quarterbacks for both,
0: Eli and Alex Smith have definitely done a lot in their careers, and I do think it would be smart for both of them, you know, whether the, they want to or not, to have uh, the the separation with those teams, bring in some rookies in this draft class, and see what they can do. And similar to that, we have a gift for your 49ers. And uh, this is a gift that they, with their last two wins, they're actually playing themselves out of. So we're going to give it to them ourselves, and that is Nick Bosa, the Ohio State defensive lineman.
1: Yes, and obviously the 49ers would love to have Nick Bosa because not only is he one of the most highly touted uh, college players coming up in this next draft, but he's also an edge rusher, which is something that the 49ers desperately need. Right now, the 49ers lead uh, sack artist is DeForest Buckner, and DeForest Buckner plays defensive tackle. He's coming up the middle of the line and getting there before our edge rushers can, because there are no edge rushers on the 49ers. So, and this has been a need for years. Solomon Thomas was actually drafted to be an edge rusher, but... He turned out to be better on the interior, which is what he did in college. So uh, it, it, this looks like a clear-cut uh, position of need, and Nick Bosa would be perfect to fill it. I will add an asterisk here that Josh Allen is apparently also really good and may be available for the 49ers at the, at the three or wherever they end up picking. So depending on how things go these last two weeks, the 49ers could still get the, get the right present, fill the need, whether it's Nick Bosa or not.
0: Yeah, at first I thought you were talking about Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Bills. And then after a second, it, I realized, no, Josh Allen, the linebacker for Kentucky, he is a name that I've seen mocked to them as well. Clellan Farrell from Clemson was one that I just saw in a mock draft. So I do think that the 49ers can address the need, even if it's not in the form of Bosa.
1: Yes, and, and this actually kind of leads into the next one, but as a 49ers fan, I think I've expressed this on the podcast before, I am rooting for them to win every week. For, forget the draft position. I'm all about the Niners winning right now, every week. That's how I've always been, and that's how I'm going to keep being. That win over the Seahawks last week was mwah, so sweet, and it ends up being our gift to the Seahawks. We're giving them a long overdue L. Courtesy of the 49ers. It looks like Christmas came earlier this year, Corey, because the 49ers took on a playoff bound, or or rather a uh, wild card bound Seahawks team and defeated them with a third string quarterback. I think that's something to be happy about.
0: I hadn't beat the team in, what, 10 straight games? Uh, hadn't been since 2013, if you include that uh, 2013 NFC Championship game. And... You know that that game really changed the the toad for these two teams because Seattle went on to win the Super Bowl and the Forty Nineers haven't made the playoffs since. I know you uh, were really rooting for San Francisco to get this victory, and it was definitely a sweet sweet one for you. Uh, and even though it costs the team playoff position, I'm sure that you will look back more fondly on that uh, Week Fifteen overtime victory, Phil Dawson game winning field goal more than. You know, whatever could have happened. Um, look at the
1: uh, twenty thirteen wait a second, Phil Dawson?
0: <sighs> Did I say Phil Dawson? Robbie Gould. Wow. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Both are were really good kickers for the or one is currently a really good kicker, the other one used to be a really yeah. good kicker for the 49ers. But um let's just take a look back at I think it's the 2013 draft where Jadavian Clowney was drafted number one overall. And Khalil Mack was drafted number five overall. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen in this, but just because the Niners won an important rivalry game doesn't mean they're automatically going to be bad forever. Okay, I, I, I so many people, I, like all week I was, I, are. All week i've been talking trash because there's a lot of seahawks fans in my office but people have been saying back to me "It's like well you know the niners are stupid for winning and the niners are never stupid for winning the niners <laughs> should be winning every no. week and uh, and and they could still end up with the best edge rusher in the draft despite the win so ha- merry christmas seahawks ha- ha- here's your l <laughs> so
0: uh with that let's move on to the afc and We'll start with the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the current number one seed where they have been throughout most of this season, but they're coming off a tough Week 15 Thursday night loss to the Los Angeles Chargers, blowing a two-touchdown lead in the final minutes before losing 29-28. to 28.
1: What a game. And what a game.
0: The, it was a great game, and because of that, the gift that we're giving them is one that they don't quite have yet and that is an AFC West division title and along with that the idea is that they would also have the number one seed home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs and Patrick Mahomes and that porous defense would at least get to play their playoff games in front of the raucous crowd at Arrowhead Stadium rather than having to go on the road as a wild card
1: yeah the uh I know their defense isn't great statistically, but they do have an interesting defensive lineman, Chris Jones, who broke an NFL record by recording one sack in 10 consecutive games. Um, So I just thought that was interesting. Pass rushers are hard to find, and and it's I know this defense is bad, but there are parts about it that are uh, good. Also, can we just take a moment to appreciate how the loss of Kareem Hunt hasn't been the reason why... They aren't as, well, it's not the reason uh, for any of their troubles. I would say that that offense is pretty much plug and play. If you're a fast running back who can hold on to the football, you're going to have a good fantasy football day. I'll I'll put it that way. Um, But yes, our gift to the the Chiefs is the division title because they put themselves in such a good position early to get it. They really just have to go and collect it. And I I think they will.
0: So their final two games at Seattle, versus oakland Um, i think we're both gonna say the chiefs will beat the raiders but that seahawks game we did predict a couple weeks ago that they would lose um now it's a, a game that they have to win because the chargers they they host the ravens they play out the broncos those are two games that they themselves could also lose but if you're the chiefs when you're 11 and 3 you you want to control your own destiny you don't want to rely on la to lose they need to go into centrally take care of business and knock off the raiders and what could be the raiders final game as the oakland raiders and with that give them the number one seed you know give them the chance to finally uh, break all those playoff struggles and first-round exits that we become used to with the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Yes. It's going to be a tough one to go into CenturyLink, especially because the Seahawks are going to be blood-red mad after taking that giant L from the Niners, but I think the Chiefs can do it. All right. Our next gift is for the previously impervious Patriots, who have now looked pretty shaky. We're, We're giving them for Christmas... Two convincing wins to, to end the season so that they can head into the playoffs with some, some confidence. This is the Patriots. Yeah,
0: and that's uh, definitely something the Patriots need right now because they are not looking like the Patriots team that we have been used to. After starting the season 1-2, and two, they went off 1-6 in a row. They got tripped up by the Titans, but then they seemingly recovered only to have a soul-crushing loss to the Dolphins on the final play. Did not predict the play, but I did predict Miami winning. So let's uh, flashback to the last you, episode. I'm
1: giving you credit for predicting. I texted you and said, like, yeah. Nostradamus called knowing that the Dolphins would get that game-winning play. Because I think before yeah. that, the game more or less played out how you thought, or, or rather how I thought it would. That the Miami would give them trouble, but the Patriots are just too good to let them win. And they pulled that one out, the Miami Miracle
0: yep so the the Patriots lose to the Dolphins in December in Miami like we've become accustomed to over the years and the next week they're playing the Steelers my Steelers who they uh, hadn't lost to since 2011 five straight wins Tom Brady's only lost to him twice in his yeah, 15 years of playing Ben Roethlisberger and he should have come out and you know put up the points they needed and defeated them but no they only score 10 points Pittsburgh has one of their best defensive performances of the season and the Patriots are now 9-5 and they're the number three seed they're not in line for a bye so final two games of the season versus Buffalo versus the Jets if they win those two games they're gonna win the AFC East and potentially end up with a bye if the Texans stumble in uh, their last two and that would definitely have the team and fans uh, feeling much more confident about their chances. But if you know if they win the games, but it's a struggle, they don't look like themselves, and I don't know if you can necessarily say that. I think they not only need two wins, but two pretty convincing wins.
1: All I can say is, if the Patriots from here on out suddenly look terrible, it would basically change the way I look at football. Brady and Belichick have been such a constant for so long, and to have that. Falter I heard some naysayers. I definitely heard some people were pretty confident you, do, you, do you ever listen to Clay Travis or follow him on Twitter or see any of his stuff
0: i I've heard some of his stuff but i don't I don't follow him
1: well, he was pretty confident in saying that the patriots are done. This dynasty is dead in the he, he's already buried them he's already attended the funeral and the the eulogy is over their 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 dynasty is absolutely dead, uh, according to Clay Travis, which I was like, wow, this guy is a Sports pundit for anyone to be saying that is different than I've heard it's dead before, but that was people just trying to get a rise. Like it sounded like this was like pretty confident, and maybe just maybe he's right. Father Time remains undefeated, and despite the TB twelve method or whatever it's called, all things come to an end. And I wonder if we're seeing it right now. I'm not ready to say it. I'm still happy to give the Patriots these these two convincing wins to finish the season, but. We may be nearing the end of an era. We'll see. We'll see.
0: People have been uh, predicting that for years now. It hasn't come to fruition, but this team is definitely not looking like the teams that we have been used to in the past. So maybe this is it. Uh, And speaking of teams that aren't playing like themselves, our next gift is for a surprise still in playoff contention cleveland browns and the gift we are giving them is eight extra games with greg williams as their coach or simply eight fewer games with hugh jackson as their coach
1: yeah this is uh, it actually blows my mind how hugh jackson could be so terrible because i mean I, i don't really know greg williams all that well but the, the turnaround here has been massive. Yeah. Bringing Baker Mayfield in is definitely a culture change. Uh, but Hugh Jackson still found a way to lose with him. And it's uh, it's such a fresh of breath air to see somebody take like the, all the talent that this Cleveland team has and make something of it. And I, I'm sure the Browns would have loved to see that a little bit earlier.
0: Yeah, they were 2-5-1 and one under Hugh Jackson before finally letting him go. Uh, amazing that they didn't fire him after the 1-31 and record in the previous two seasons. And then immediately Greg Williams takes over and the team is 4-2 and since then. Now they're a playoff long shot at this point. They need to win out. They need the Ravens to lose out. They need some help that includes the Titans and the Colts tying in Week 17. So probably not going to happen this year. But you definitely have to believe that the Browns, it's only a matter of time before they are back to the uh, playoffs where they haven't been since 2002, and I think the the idea is that Freddie Kitchens, their offensive coordinator, has been the the more deserving uh, player for the or guy for the praise than Greg Williams as head coach. Uh, they would much rather have him uh, be back next year if uh, and then Williams. But I I do think that it would be interesting to see what the Browns could have done if they had just let go of Jackson last year and had a a fresh leader. Because to me, this Browns team lost some some really bad games early on. That with a, a more competent leader, they would have won, and would now actually be in playoff position.
1: Yeah, I, I'm just excited to see a competitive Browns team. I, I'm I don't actually remember the last time the Browns are competitive. I, I wasn't paying attention to football at the time. I do remember Peyton Hillis being on the front of a Madden back when I paid more attention to just Madden than real football but still i can't remember the last time i was like oh the browns are even decent at football they've always been trash for a long time so it's it's, it's 2014, interesting
0: 2014 they were seven and four and then lost five in a row to end the season 2007 they went 10 and six and lost on a tiebreaker to the titans for the number six seed and those are the only two times that they've been even remotely relevant since 2002
1: so there you have it. <laughs> uh, it would be such a nice change of pace to see a Browns team that's like confidently headed towards the playoffs. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, uh, moving forward, our uh, our next gift is for the Denver Broncos, and for them, we're giving them a new head coach. So two weeks ago, when we were making our predictions for how the season would end, I predicted that the Denver Broncos would be sliding in to the uh, the sixth seed in the AFC. I mean, why not, right? All they have to do is beat the Niners and uh, and the Browns and beat the Browns at home, then Oakland, and then Char- and then ha- they had to play a competitive game against the Chargers. We're two games into that four-game stretch, and the Broncos have only lost games so far. Losing to the 49ers, as much as I love the 49ers, you don't deserve to be in the... like. You don't really deserve to make up the ground you need if you're the Denver Broncos if you lose to us. I know George Kittle beasted that day, but I feel like there has to be something wrong with your defensive play calling when you give a a tight end 210 yards in one half okay (laughs) George Kittle is good but I mean dang that was a real pat a stat patter uh right there and he didn't even participate in the second half as far as receiving goes and then losing to the Browns I mean they're the new look Browns so I guess it's a little more forgivable but uh totally mismanaged uh this team has been so Uh, they've also been riddled with injuries don't get me wrong I think that's a big part of why the Niners had so much success against their defense at least but uh it's time to change the guard in Denver.
0: Yeah, there were questions after last season whether or not the Broncos would get rid of Vance Joseph after just uh, one year in Denver. Throughout the season, there were times where it looked like he was on the hot seat. They got a little cute beating the Chargers, beating the Steelers, beating the Bengals to get the 6-6, six and six, and yeah, the past two weeks have not gone well. And really, the the egregious thing for Vance Joseph and why, why we're giving the Broncos a new head coach of all teams, fourth and one on... Inside the 10 yard line, you're down by four points with five minutes to go, and you kick a field goal. You deserve to lose that game. You deserve to lose your job. That is uh, just an outrageous move by him as a head coach. And Denver, they're only three years removed from a Super Bowl victory. Uh, They were looking great under Gary Kubiak. It's unfortunate that he had his health issues that led to his retirement, but the The Vance Joseph era has not been a fun one for Broncos fans, and I think it is very much time for them to to bring in a new face and hope that they can uh, get this team back to what we became accustomed to with the Denver Broncos in the playoffs.
1: I wonder what the Amazon Web Services percentages would say about kicking a field goal in that situation rather than going for it on fourth and one because i'm pretty sure what the decision he made probably had the least percentage of winning i know you could look at it as like kick it play defense and then kick another one for the win <laughs> but going for it on fourth and 1 i like i'm i don't know for sure cuz i i saw a similar decision made when the 49ers beat the falcons back in 20 i want to say it was 2014 um where they went they did the same thing it was a uh, fourth and one and they kicked a field goal on like the goal line basically a chip shot and like they were looking at the percentages of like your chances to win after the fact like after making that decision and it was actually more beneficial to go for it on fourth and one it was on the goal line uh fourth and one and not make it give the 49ers the ball back on their own one and then play defense and then have better field position to go again and try to score a touchdown again rather than to kick the field goal give the Niners more beneficial field position and then hopefully you know not so yeah I agree the the coaching there is terrible I wish we had the numbers ourselves but I'm sure the math would back us up that that was a terrible choice
0: yeah the, the the math would definitely back us up the, the statistics always say to be aggressive you know go for it on fourth down, go for it, the two point conversion you know whatever whatever the aggressive situation is when it just comes to picking up a yard or two in the NFL, offenses have so much of an advantage and like you said, even if they get stopped, if Cleveland had ball at their own seven yard line, you would think that Denver would be in a, a position where they could make a, a big stop and uh, still benefit. So our final team that we are giving a Christmas gift to is my Pittsburgh Steelers, and they are coming off a huge victory over the New England Patriots. And that is huge for themselves in that it snapped a three-game losing streak, kept their playoff hopes alive, and was their first win over the Patriots since 2011, five straight losses. So for me, as a Steelers fan from New England, I am giving them locker room champagne to celebrate that victory, because even though the Steelers may not actually look at it this way, at least I hope they don't, that was my Super Bowl, having the Steelers finally knock off the Patriots, and in the the way that they did it, having their defense step up and make a stop at the end, uh, shutting down Rob Gronkowski, didn't even play that great themselves, uh, they it was just an all-around, uh, very stressful viewing experience, but one that I, I walked away feeling very happy and confident in Pittsburgh's chances going forward. So we can celebrate that victory.
1: There you go. We both get one over our rivals here. It was a, quite a day this last Sunday.
0: Definitely. So uh, let's move on to our next holiday segment, and we're going to play a little Dirty Santa with the NBA. So... Uh, going back to the offseason, we had some teams, some players uh, make some, some questionable decisions or uh, some decisions that seemed like, oh, that was uh, not not very nice to their, their player, their teammate, their coach. And uh, we're going to check in to see what things are looking like now. So let's start off with the DeMar DeRozan-Kawhi Leonard trade. Kawhi going from San Antonio to Toronto, and DeRozan going from Toronto to San Antonio in the offseason.
1: Yeah, they totally did DeRozan dirty with this trade. It's really unfortunate for him to be on this mediocre Spurs team while the Raptors are still in a position to compete, especially with LeBron James out of the conference.
0: Yeah, Kawhi Leonard is having a career year in Toronto, averaging over 26 points a game, eight rebounds, three assists. The Raptors, 23-9, their first in the East. They are certainly benefiting from this. DeMar DeRozan in San Antonio, he's having a solid season himself with 23.6 points per game, but the Spurs are a 500 team right now. They're outside of the playoff picture, and uh, he's definitely not benefiting from this trade. And we don't know if this is necessarily a trade that Toronto needed to make to compete in the East with LeBron gone, but it's certainly making them look like the you know number one or number two favorite in that conference right now.
1: Yeah, and they certainly did DeRozan dirty. He didn't deserve to get injected <laughs> out of the uh, out of that team. That he was one of the faces of the franchise, and now he is balling out in San Antonio, no doubt. But I mean, that's not enough for he he, no. he can't he alone can't change their fates at least not right now
0: no uh, i still think that san antonio is going to be a playoff contender but i don't know if they're definitely a playoff team uh, so derozan definitely got the short end of the stick in this trade it's unfortunate that uh you know with his friendship with kyle lowry that it had to be broken up like that but toronto oh yeah the that's the and- other part too <laughs> yeah
1: breaking him up with kyle lowry it's like he made somebody mad and they're like all right it's, it's dirty santa time honestly
0: yep, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so, uh, another trade that this one happened early in the season in November, we were already about a month into the season. And in this case, it wasn't a team doing a player dirty. It was a player doing his team dirty. And that was Jimmy Butler who forced his way out of Minnesota. And he's now with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Timberwolves were definitely not doing well to start the season amid all of the chaos They were four and nine at the time that they traded Butler. Since then, they've improved to nine and seven, but they're still nine and seven since then. So overall, thirteen and sixteen, but that still has them near the bottom of a very good Western Conference. While Jimmy Butler is reaping the benefits in Philly, playing for at least a team that is in contention to win the Eastern Conference, whether or not they're a true title contender. So Butler is definitely benefiting
1: from this one. Big time. He, he, yeah, obviously he did him dirty this time. He, especially with all the disrespect he sent the entire franchise with beating the starters with the third stringers and allegedly <laughs> yeah. sleeping with one of the, I think it was Carl Anthony Town's girlfriend or something. Just, he was doing him dirty in every way possible, including ditching them and going to the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah. And now that he's in Philly, Joel Embiid complaining about his role. So we'll see how long this, uh, Happiness for the 76ers last, right? Now they're playing pretty well, but it does seem like Butler could be a problem in Philly just like he was in Minnesota if things don't go better for the 76ers' star center.
1: NBA players are such prima donnas, I swear.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely more than any other sport. Uh, And I guess speaking of prima donnas, we got some intra-team drama among the defending champions Kevin Durant Draymond green had some beef earlier in the season golden state was looking really good and then that happened they started to lose some games so right now they're actually second place in the west so they're, they're still doing well uh, from that perspective but at 20 and 10 that's a little below where we've been used to seeing golden state there's some questions about who's going to be coming back next year and it uh, doesn't seem like the team is totally focused on what they're trying to accomplish this season.
1: Yeah, and I think just the fact that they're not in first is a disappointment. I think everyone assumed that they would easily cruise through the regular season and then easily cruise through the postseason and put another ring on their hands. Like it, it almost It's even more certain than it was last year, and to see them struggle slightly, although wasn't Steph Curry hurt? He was hurt last year. Uh, Was there anything? Okay, I I haven't been watching every NBA game this year, but it it is definitely a disappointment to see them. Although, and I know that we won't say the details of what exactly was said between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, but they're definitely doing each other dirty by (laughs) putting that drama out there on the court for everyone to see. Uh, But I think it's, again, just like we said when this originally happened, I think this will be forgotten Long forgotten by the time we get to the playoffs, maybe they'll bring it up just to be like, and, you know, things looked bad for a minute there. Uh, but I'm sure that they'll be back together, especially when DeMarcus Cousins starts playing. When is that supposed to happen? Um, so I think he's actually supposed to be back pretty
0: soon because he, he's already trying to play for the, the Warriors G League team. So I'm thinking that'll be, you know, after Christmas, after the new year, it's, it'll only be a matter of time before we see Cousins out there.
1: Can you imagine going to those G League games? That'd be insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that would definitely be, be fun well, to see. To Marcus, a yeah. G League is like uh, going to like a upper state or like a like a close to the championship game high school basketball game. Like you are pretty close to the court itself, based on the venues. At least the G League games I've gone to, uh, it's like part of the beauty of going to these G League games is you can see legitimate talent but also be super close to them because nobody's really a g league fan it's just people who love the team so much that they're willing to also go see the minor league team yeah. but yeah. being in that kind of venue with demarcus cousins oh boy i uh suspect the ticket prices will go up
0: yeah that would definitely be fun to you know have those close to court side seats and seeing cousins go up against guys who are just you know trying to trying to hold on to their dying professional careers. Uh, and it'll it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, drama cousins adds given the fact that he has already been ejected from a game without even being dressed in uniform. Uh, so it'll definitely be interesting to see if Golden State can at least you know get over their their differences of what will happen next year and win a title this year so. Our next headline is, or our next NBA dirty santa is Carmelo Anthony was exiled by Oklahoma City this offseason, traded to the Hawks. Basically just uh, you know didn't didn't want him around especially with the salary he was receiving. Hawks release him, he gets picked up by the Rockets, plays 10 games before he's already out of a job there and still has not been signed by another team. And the NBA is really uh, doing dirty to a guy who, future Hall of Famer, one of the best scorers of all time, not anymore, still thinks he is.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it when the Thunder got rid of him. It's uh, going into offseason. It seemed like it was going to be Russell Westbrook and terribly like just offensively detrimental Carmelo Anthony and Paul George headed to L.A. But instead, we traded him to the Hawks for Dennis Schroeder, who has been a major contributor this season. it's like a great sixth man. And then not only is that bad enough for Carmelo, but the, the Hawks don't even want him. And then he ruins the beginning of the season for the, the Rockets before they decide they're going to go in another direction. And yes, that's doing him dirty, but they did try to you know, make it seem like it's not as bad by saying we don't like, we couldn't agree to his role on the team and we wouldn't want to tarnish his hall of fame career. So we're going to let him, you know, pursue other teams, which hasn't panned out for him yet. But I've heard that he was seen like spotted potentially going to join the Lakers or something. Him and LeBron have been like linked in some way.
0: Yeah. And I did hear that yesterday. That there is potential for Melo to the Lakers, which not just you know, just throw all these guys into LA and team up with LeBron and just just see what happens because the Lakers have been playing like pretty decently this year despite some of the characters they have, and I can't imagine that Melo would make that team better. So that I, seems like a questionable
1: my addition. Uh, yeah. I would think that adding Carmelo would be somehow LeBron James is intentionally tanking. I'm not sure yeah. what what he would have to benefit from that, but. I don't see how you could look at Carmelo Anthony at this point and say that guy is going to make my team better instead of looking at him and saying that guy would definitely make my team worse, just like he's made the last two teams. He's been on much worse. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's he's been done dirty by the league. Don't get me wrong, but I think he deserves it. I think, yes, I definitely think he deserves it. I also think he deserves
0: a job for a team like the Knicks or the Bulls or the Hawks again, and just go to somewhere where he's just going to help you finish at the bottom of the league. You got those Duke <laughs> players. You got Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish. Go go, bring in Melo and uh, give your team a better chance. Just have him go out there, throw up 30 shots a night, make seven of them. And uh, next thing you know, you're going to find yourselves at the top of the draft. So I think that is where Carmelo Anthony belongs if he's still in the NBA, uh, which is really kind of unfortunate to say about a guy who has, has done so much throughout his career. But it's the reality of who Melo is right now. I don't see any reason a, an actual playoff contender, a team that's actually trying to compete this year, should bring him onto their roster. Totally. Uh, so now the the last topic... The Chicago Bulls, they fired coach Fred Hoiberg. That's something that had been talked about for a while now. That's not necessarily the dirty part here. The dirty part, the interim coach they bring in, Jim Boylan, tries to you know take over as head coach, and the player is just not having it. The Bulls lose to the Celtics by 56 points at home, and uh, the players are complaining to the National Basketball Players Association And it got to the point where Jim Boylan formed a leadership committee, a leadership committee for a team that only has 15 players and things are just not looking good for a Chicago team that has some young talent, but does not look like they're heading in the direction of being a playoff team anytime soon.
1: Yeah, that's pretty bad, Um, especially when you look at there's only 30 teams. There's only 30 opportunities to be a head coach and to blow it like that. To to have actions like this taken against you as a head coach, it's pretty bad.
0: Yeah. So leadership committee. It's uh, you got Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, Bobby Portis, Robin Lopez, and Justin Holiday. You got a mix with some of the the young stars on the team as well as some veterans. And I guess one thing you can give uh, Jim Boylan as a reason for hope is the Giants formed a leadership committee when. Tom Coughlin was on the verge of being fired, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. So maybe there's a little bit of hope with the Bulls, but I think that's a, a huge stretch to think that they could have that kind of success. Pretty huge, yes. So uh, definitely, it will be interesting to see how long Jim Boylan remains in Chicago. But it's hard to imagine him getting that interim tag removed anytime soon. So uh, let's move on to our next segment. And that is Head of the Line. So we did this one uh, months ago and we decided to bring it back. And we are putting a holiday twist on it by doing a Christmas Carol edition where we turn the headlines into plays on popular Christmas carols. And the first one, Barking in a Winter Wonderland. Despite plenty of rumors, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper remain unsigned through the conclusion of the MLB winter meetings. So the winter meetings happened last week. There was a lot of thought that there'd be a lot of big moves happening, including the signing of uh, either Machado or Harper, who was in his hometown of Las Vegas. Wasn't really a whole lot of action. There are some some minor moves that went down, uh, but it was a lot more talk than the actual walk. And now Machado's looking at uh, meeting with some teams. There's still some rumors for Bryce Harper. But we're starting to wonder how soon these guys are actually going to sign. And this is definitely not like the NBA or NFL free agency that we're used to, where the top guys are immediately picked off the second the new league year starts.
1: What is the winter meetings? It sounds like some sort of uh, Game of Thrones episode. So it's it's the meetings
0: between uh, the the general managers. So basically, there there's a lot of events that happen, uh, including the the Rule Five Draft, and uh, I know that I think there's just some other like formal stuff. But the big idea is you get all the teams' GMs together, so it's easy for trades to go down. You have uh, players signing there with the different agents that attend the meeting. So you're just getting a lot of people together. In some years, there are some big moves that happen. This year, not so much. Uh, so there, there's still some questions about what's going to happen with Machado and Harper. Machado's meeting with the White Sox, the Phillies, and the Yankees, as well as a, a mystery team, apparently. Bryce Harper, uh, I, I've heard that he wants to be a Dodger, which is a team I predict him to, but he wants that long-term mega deal record-breaking contract. And the Dodgers would much prefer signing him to a short-term deal uh, with a lot of money and a lot of opt-outs over the way. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. But uh, I think the thought was that these two guys can maybe maybe find a home at the winter meetings. But that that certainly did not happen. So our next headline. What Brooks is this? Grizzlies and Suns three way trade with Wizards fell through over confusion of whether Marshawn or Dylan Brooks was included in the deal. And I gotta say, this is one of the wackiest failed trades I've heard of in a long time.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, how does that happen? Isn't this your full time <laughs> job, guys, to like get this stuff done? Yeah,
0: yeah. And I. So the. The Wizards uh, were, were going to get Trevor Reza, who they did eventually get. That was the, the big player on the move from the Suns. The Grizzlies got involved, and they were going to give the Suns Wayne Selden and what they thought was Marshawn Brooks, but the Suns thought they were getting Dylan Brooks out of this, and apparently the Wizards thought it was Dylan, but the Grizzlies were like, no, we never talked about him making this huge deal about it their their gm chris wallace uh, come in and saying that he he thinks it's unfathomable that there could be this kind of confusion and it just really blows my mind how uh something like this could fall apart and it's it's kind of funny how you got two guys with the same last name who similar numbers uh you have B- dylan brooks is younger marshawn is more of a journeyman so that's why dylan was more appealing for phoenix but definitely a a funny uh trade falling through
1: this uh this reminds me when the pass rusher Elvis doomerville ended up not being signed resigned by the Broncos a few years back when uh they were supposed to fax his contract over uh, to his agent, but the fax machine was broken, and they couldn't get the fax through before 4 p.m. on the deadline. And Elvis Dumervil eventually ended up signing with the Ravens after that, and having actually a pretty good stint with the Ravens. So they were uh, they had like wow. photoshops of uh, Broncos quarter like whoever it was at quarterback at the time. I think it was Peyton uh, getting sacked by a uh, by a. Uh, Fax machine in a Ravens jersey or like Ravens colors because they, they basically got defeated by a or like that that contract uh, potential was lost due to like a malfunctioning fax machine. And it's like it's these things where it's a million dollar industry with millionaires on like who are the people involved and these little things like not knowing somebody's first name or having your fax machine break uh, ends up being the reason why these things fall through it's just kind of ridiculous
0: yeah I actually didn't know uh, that happened with Elvis Dumerville my my thought when I heard about this trade was last year when the Browns tried to trade for AJ McCarron uh, who at the time was the Bengals backup quarterback but the trade didn't go through because they were too busy celebrating and forgot to submit it to the league office before the deadline, uh, which is just a classic, uh, summarize the Browns own 16 season last year.
1: It's, uh, I, I, am I may have to be fact fact checked on that one. Uh, I may may mix up some of the details, but if you just Google Elvis Dumerville fax machine, there's a, the whole story about him leaving the Broncos. Um, but yeah, it's silly, it's silliness, um, and I'm—it's <laughs> a good thing it made headlines because these people, everyone involved, deserves to feel embarrassed. Yeah, no, I—I'm
0: I, sure that they—they uh, they all do. But in the end, the uh, the Wizards and Suns agreed to a trade that did not include Memphis. So our next headline is: All I want for Christmas is a playoff appearance. Saints released Brandon Marshall just weeks before he was finally set to make his first trip to the NFL postseason. And you got to feel bad for Marshall after what happened, uh, especially knowing that he was finally going to make his first trip to the playoffs and just have it ripped from him this late in the season.
1: I like Brandon Marshall, or at least I, I really liked him. He was in Denver, uh, first, No, no, he was in Miami first, I think. Yeah, um, Denver,
0: Miami, Chicago.
1: And Chicago. And then the Jets and all four of those teams got at least one 1,000-yard season out of Brandon Marshall, which is insanity. That is really hard to do. It, it's hard enough to get 1,000 yards in a season, and it's really hard to take that production and move it elsewhere. So, like, my hat... Ever since then, I, I've, I called him the best journeyman wide receiver in the NFL uh, because he even though he had this production he kept on ending up somewhere else and this year it was the Seahawks and I guess I'm happy that he didn't really produce for them but it's still disappointing to see him go from a league commodity to not even able to stay on a roster where basically all you have to do is be able to catch the ball I mean Michael Thomas is obviously really good 10 get Ted Ginn is obviously really fast but it's not I, I think it's a little disappointing that Brandon Marshall couldn't hold to a roster spot for the saints because he definitely would have punched his ticket to the playoffs. Finally.
0: Yeah. It's, he's been great throughout his career and you know, like all players, they eventually uh, stop being great. And uh, it's, it it's kind of interesting because the saints, it's not like they're overloaded with wide receivers. Uh, I know their team has been great. They've had a solid offense, but You would think that they could have found a home for Brandon Marshall. You know, they they were the team that finally signed Des Bryant before he was uh, immediately injured. But it's looking like Marshall's going to be held out of the playoffs again. There are some rumors that he could potentially be reunited with New Orleans, whether or not that's before the end of the season uh, is yet to be seen. And I would think that if he doesn't sign anywhere in these next couple weeks, it's hard to picture him being in a good situation next year. So it could be a the, the completion of a playoff list career for this guy.
1: And it would be disappointing, but it wouldn't be the first time. There are other greats that have gone without making an appearance in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure Takeo Spikes, the linebacker for the Chargers most of his career and then for the 49ers in the twilight of his career, never saw a postseason snap, but he's still a really great linebacker. So it, as much as it... It's hard to be like a legend without ever seeing the postseason. It's still possible, and I I will continue to remember those years of Brandon Marshall fondly where he was contributing uh, for all these different teams.
0: Yep. Um, Dick Buckus and Gale Ceres are two Bears legends that never made the playoffs, uh, just in Chicago at the wrong time. So our final headline, Ald Lance sign. Lance Armstrong has reportedly earned around $20 million from 2009 investments in Uber. Uh, So back in 2009, Lance Armstrong invested $100,000 in a venture capital firm that had most of their money going toward Uber. At the time, Uber was valued at $3.7 million. Now that Uber is set to have its initial public offering, which could be a top five highest IPO, uh, ever, it is now worth 120 billion dollars with uh, Lance after fees and everything. It's looking like he's somewhere around 20 million dollars of his earnings, which is amazing uh, for a guy who, you know, has really fallen off in recent years ever since the um, doping scandals and the the cheating allegations have have come to light uh, from the seven-time Tour de France winner.
1: Corey, it seems like you and I can't stop talking about Lance Armstrong lately. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> as we just we mentioned him uh, when we were discussing dodgeball on Affable Chat, but he's—I uh, mean—he's done well here. That's money well invested for sure. Can you imagine knowing about Uber early, or at least having a way in, getting your foot in the door with Uber before? Yeah, that's a crazy off?
0: thing. He—I think he said he didn't even know that he, it was Uber. He didn't know what it was at the time. <laughs> He's making all this money from it.
1: So Good for him. I, I still stand by my stance that uh, he's not that bad of a guy. He was cheating, yes, but there's a lot of cheaters in that sport. And uh, he was the best cheater. So I still think he's a pretty good guy, especially because Livestrong did so much good stuff, too.
0: Yeah, and whether or not he's a, a good or bad guy in your eyes, there's no denying that he is... 20 million dollars richer than he would have been if he did not invest in uber in 2009
1: yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to uh uh earn his uh favor here by uh shouting him out on the podcast (laughs) letting him know you're a good guy lance we will uh we'll definitely do ad reads for you if you want we know you can afford them (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah he he can give us our uh, christmas gift yes um (laughs) So uh, now let's let's move on. And uh, we will get into our uh, best sports moments of 2018. And the top five is inherently not sports related. In all of our past episodes, there are some where we do find ways to uh, include sports topics in our list. But We like to have a very well-rounded podcast and, you know, give people something to listen to and enjoy, even if they're not big sports fans themselves. But because this is the last Ben and Corey podcast of 2018 and we are a majority sports podcast, we thought it would make sense to look back fondly of our favorite or what we consider the best sports moments of 2018 in today's top five.
1: Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five,
0: top five. So, Ben, uh, why don't you get us started with your number five?
1: All right. So, my number five was Germany's uh, elimination from the group stage of the World Cup. So, let me just remind you how this went down. And part of the reason why it's my number one is because Germany's first game was against Mexico. And even though Mexico had high hopes for this World Cup... Nobody was threatening Germany. And to have Mexico come out and beat Germany in in their first game was an absolute shocker. And it was so so well received in Mexico City that they caused an artificial earthquake, which is pretty awesome. Um, Then after that, Costa Rica uh, had a pretty contentious game with the Germans, which ended up with the result of Germany winning on an amazing set piece goal that was considered one of the best. Wasn't that against Sweden? Oh yeah, that was against, well why did I write Costa Rica? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, that was definitely against Sweden because Sweden was the other team. I don't know why I have Costa Rica in here. I think that's what it said in the article. Let me bring that back. So in their (laughs) second game, Germany went up against Sweden and uh, Sweden looked to steal a point from Germany in the group stage, when Germany scored a last-second set-piece goal, that ended up being one of the goals of the tournament uh, that was saved their skin and earned them three points, but it wasn't enough. They needed, rather, Mexico needed South Korea to defeat Germany. To send them home and send Mexico on to the next round, and South Korea scored a goal that sent Germany into panic mode, where they just went all out attack, and South Korea counterattacked. It was actually Son from Tottenham uh, who ended up scoring uh, a lone goal with uh, all of Germany's players out of the defense, uh, and and sent Germany packing uh, way earlier than anybody expected, which is just ridiculous. Uh, and it started off what was ended up being a really awesome World Cup. So that's my number five.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a surprise for the defending World Cup champions. Uh, of course, Germany, a, a team you always consider a, a powerhouse when it comes to international soccer. So definitely a shock and one that I was happy about with um, them being eliminated. It was a very entertaining World Cup despite the US not being in it, especially with all the, the uh, upsets and powerhouses that fell early on. So my number five is Tiger Woods earns his first PGA win in five years at the Tour Championship. It's been a long, long battle for Tiger Woods, uh, really over the last 10 years. Um, of course, the all the, the things that happened Thanksgiving 2009, the coming out of the the uh, personal issues he dealt with. And then from there, the injuries and just really looking like a guy who was on pace to maybe be the greatest golfer ever uh, really, really had fallen off. But 2018 was a big year for Tiger. He got his first win in five years and love him or hate him. Tiger Woods makes golf more exciting. There are more people are watching because of him being at the top of the leaderboard, finally getting that victory. And it's definitely uh, intriguing to see what he can do in 2019 and beyond as he chases Jack Nicholson for the uh, record of most major victories.
1: Tiger Woods, definitely the uh, most impactful golfer I can, I even know of, because I definitely don't pay attention to golf, but I definitely know who Tiger Woods is. So it is Kind of mind blowing that he's still he still fills that role as the reason I hear about golf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, for my number four. I'm not really a big March Madness guy, but when I am looking at March Madness, sometimes you got to look at the statistics and something that had never happened before. Was, uh, you know, considered a sure thing is that you always pick the number one seed to beat the 16 seed in the first round. And for the first time ever this year, a number 16 seed team, UMBC, UMBC knocks off Virginia, number one Virginia in the first round. And honestly, that for me, it's just like a statistical anomaly is enough to get it onto my top five at number four
0: yeah there's definitely something that i did not think was going to come anytime soon uh it all the over the years just having 16 seeds never beat a one seed and uh to finally have it happen with a blowout victory was definitely an exciting moment i really enjoyed watching that game i didn't bring virginia to win at all so i didn't hurt my bracket like it hurt others so i was uh you know, very, very thrilled and do definitely think that is uh, one of the, the best sports moments that we saw this year and you know, really one of the best uh, March Madness moments that we could see for quite a long time, given how how this has never happened other than this one game.
1: Could happen again. It's, been, it's happened once.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if it does happen again, UMBC was the first to do it. They're never going to lose that. If it never happens again, they're the only one to do it. Yep. So... Uh, and uh, speaking of doing things for the first time and the only time, my number four was the Golden Knights making the Stanley Cup finals in their first year as a franchise. And as much as I hate to admit it, the Washington Capitals finally winning their first Stanley Cup. Uh, it was a an exciting stanley cup playoffs for the nhl and while some fans were maybe not a big uh, you know, proponent of how the golden knights team was assembled they surprised everybody by really being one of the best teams in the league all throughout the season and then showing up in the playoffs and making a run all the way to the stanley cup finals it was much must watch television just because of how how crazy they went in that arena Uh, with their pregame show and on the opposite side the capitals just every year losing in the first or second round despite being one of the best regular season teams in hockey they finally defeated the pittsburgh penguins a team that they just couldn't get past for so many years and rode that um, victory all the way to their first ever stanley cup championship alexander ovechkin one of the best in the league finally got his victory and of course uh, celebrated very hard after that Uh, but it was a a very exciting postseason and because of two things that one we didn't expect to see and one that you know with the capitals winning uh, i definitely thought it would be a while before we would see that with how how poorly they had played in the playoffs for the past decade
1: yeah i and uh I mean what a year like this gives so much hope to expansion teams everywhere like the sky's the limit right when you start uh also go vegas golden Knights dude Vegas is awesome <laughs> yeah
0: yeah they're definitely entertaining and uh it'll be interesting to see where those two teams go from here Capitals having another solid season golden Knights not quite the same success, but they're they're still looking like they could at least be a playoff team.
1: Okay, so my number three was probably my second favorite football game I watched this year, and that was Alabama beating Georgia in overtime to win the national title. Uh, This game was absolutely amazing with ups and downs. Let me just quickly take you through it. So at halftime, Bama was down 13-0, and they turned to their true freshman who had never thrown a meaningful snap in a college football game and they said go out there and with only you know down 13 at half go win us a national title so he goes out there and immediately he throws a touchdown and suddenly everyone perks up it's like oh what's possible with this to a kid but georgia isn't phased jake Fromm goes deep on third and 11 on the following drive and now georgia is up 20 to 7 it's a three score game All Georgia has to do is coast home, and uh, they can have a a, a national title over Alabama. Uh, In fact, it looks even more likely once the true freshman throws a pick, uh, he forces a throw and uh, turns it over on the very next drive. Uh, But after the the following drive, Alabama forces a turnover uh, with a D lineman picking off Jake Fromm. Back-to-back Alabama field goals. Make it uh, make it close, and uh, Tua throws a red zone touchdown to Calvin Ridley to tie it up and force overtime. So in overtime, Georgia moves the ball a little bit, can't get into the end zone, they kick a field goal. Alabama has a chance to finish the game here with a touchdown, but that looks unlikely when Tua takes a horrific sack uh, on first down, and now it's second and 26. Georgia have it now, this is all Georgia has to do is keep them out of field goal range, and it's and it's over. On the very next play, Tua steps up, throws an absolute laser down the left sideline, and the rest is history, baby, with Alabama taking home one of the most memorable national titles that we've had since the college football playoffs. And I it was unforgettable, man. I, I, that game made me really yeah, it was, like Nick Saban, just to have the the gall to put that freshman in and have him go out there and win the game. Just amazing.
0: Yeah, just un- unbelievable. Uh, fantastic game. Really, we we got to see Tua for the first time on the national stage, and it's it's... Pretty crazy how we had the reverse situation happen in the SEC championship game this year with Jalen Hurts taking over for Tua uh, with Bama down late and he being the one who gets the redemption and leads Alabama to SEC championship and now the the number one seed in this year's college football playoff. So definitely a great national championship game and uh, great, great one to put on your list here. So my number three moment is sticking in college, going to basketball on the women's side, and that is Notre Dame's Arika Wale knocking down not one, but two game-winning three-pointers in the final four to give Notre Dame a national championship. First, knocking out almighty UConn in the semifinals in overtime, and then a crazy three-pointer in the quarter, to beat Mississippi State in the national championship game. Just very fun watching Arike uh, knock down those two three-pointers and uh, give Notre Dame that victory. And to me, the, those have to be considered some of the best moments because who doesn't love a buzzer beater to win a national championship like that or you know, championship at any level? And to have it come on the national stage twice like that was truly uh, amazing to watch.
1: Oh, wow, that's awesome. What a uh I actually didn't know about this one. That's a uh way to be diverse with your top five, Corey. Um okay, yeah. moving on to my number two. I have Real Madrid. Well, they didn't do this all this year, obviously, but uh they won the Champions League this year, which was their third Champions League uh title in three years. And Two important things happened following this. Uh, Zinedine Zidane retires or just, you know, leaves the team after that. He's done it. Winning three uh, in a row is is an absolutely amazing achievement for somebody who is so synonymous with amazing football. It was so disappointing to see the way his his career ended as a player. In the World Cup final, that was uh, 2006... Uh, with the headbutt to Materazzi and uh, red card, and France ends up losing the World Cup. To have him come back, and obviously this isn't the World Cup. Maybe we'll see him in the World Cup at some point, coaching there. But to to lead Real Madrid to back to back to back Champions League titles is pretty amazing. Uh, this also, when Zinedine Zidane's departure also uh, coincided with Ronaldo's departure, and it's kind of the end of an era. For Real Madrid,
0: yeah, um, I'll always associate Zidane with that uh, headbutt in the the final for France against Italy. That was uh, my first and only introduction to him as a player. But to have him, you know, take over that team, which they're loaded, and uh, but there's so many great soccer teams in Europe, and to have three straight years end with you winning the the most prestigious title the the sport has to offer Uh, that is definitely an amazing feat by him and Real Madrid and like you said we don't really know what's going to come of them now because Zidane's gone and Ronaldo's gone so my number two Purdue upsets Ohio State with Tyler Trent in attendance so back in late October Ohio State was the number two team in the country they were uh, looking like they were on the path to being in the college football playoff. They go into West Lafayette, Indiana to take on a Purdue Boilermakers team that is decent, uh, nothing special. They weren't close to being ranked. They had some bad losses on the season. And they have super fan Tyler Trent. And uh, for those who don't know, Tyler Trent, uh, was, he is uh, fighting cancer currently. And the night before the game, he wasn't sure if he would be able to attend because he was he was in the hospital, he was very sick, and it did not look promising. But he managed to get himself into that stadium, and Purdue goes on to knock off the Buckeyes 49 to 20. Uh, just a, an amazing college football upset. Fan storm in the field. Ultimately, it was a loss that held the Buckeyes out of the college football playoff. And that's just one of those feel-good stories. You know why we love sports, and you know have this Tyler Trent and everything he's going through. But to you know be able to be on that field and be such an inspiration. And since then, he's received so much uh, national coverage, and uh, everyone is is uh, looking to, to donate to him and the, the causes and really fight against the, the horrible disease that is cancer. So uh, for me, including him in my, my best moments of 2018 was a very easy decision.
1: That has got to be a good feeling uh, to be there for that because what a ridiculous upset. Goodness gracious. like n- mm-hmm. Nobody could have suspected that, that like Purdue would win by so much. Uh, so yeah you got to yeah, be happy yeah. for a guy like Tyler Trent uh, in that situation so okay number one and I think it's I think it's important that we do this one together Corey because we had the same best sports moment of 2018 and that was the Eagles winning their first Super Bowl with Nick Foles as MVP yeah,
0: this was an easy one for me, uh, knowing how much I, I dislike the Patriots to have them lose a Super Bowl to the Eagles, their first ever Nick Foles, the the backup quarterback to come out of nowhere and, you know, put on the performance he did in that game and take away MVP. It's it's a feel good story having Philly finally win their first NFL champion or Super Bowl championship. Um it was an entertaining game to watch in its own right as well. So that that's why it's my favorite sports moment of twenty. It
1: was so it was so earned. You know, all season long, the Eagles were the one of the best teams of football for sure. And then as soon as Carson Wentz goes down, everyone is writing them off. I wrote them off. Everyone's like, oh, without Carson Wentz, they're nothing. This is the NFL. You have to have your quarterback. Nick Foles certainly wasn't doing anything to change our minds towards the end of the season. But then to see him just dominate in the postseason, especially when he's on the biggest stage in football against the best quarterback of all time. I mean, you couldn't. Yeah, it's like a storybook ending. And uh yeah, def- and that's why it's got to be number 1.
0: Definitely a great storybook ending. Um agree with all those points. And uh, we'll see if Nick Foles can do it again now that it looks like Wentz, Wentz could be out uh, for the rest of the season with his, his back injury. We, we talked about that earlier in the podcast and how we don't think that's in the Eagles' best interest. But it would certainly be amazing if Nick Foles were to come, whether he, he wins another Super Bowl or just has a, a kind of miraculous uh, leading the Eagles to the playoffs. Because that's a guy who was he was on the verge of retirement a few years ago. And uh, definitely a player that's, that's easy to root for.
1: Yeah, if they don't lose these last two games, then they better hope Nick Foles wins him another Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah yep. All right. So uh, before we wrap up our podcast today, we do have an announcement. Not only was this the final Ben and Corey podcast episode of 2018, but it is the final Ben and Corey podcast episode. And that is not to say that we are going away. We are rebranding and we will have a new name. And that is he's done it with the tagline, a mostly sports podcast, because that is what we are. We're a sports podcast. Mostly he's done it. So yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, we're, we're very excited for this change. Um, We've already kind of started making the moves with it. So Brian Wells, who has been a recurring guest in the past, he'll be taking on a more regular hosting role. Uh, we anticipate having three or even four hosts on most podcasts. We, we would love to have uh, more guests come on to help us uh, go through these. We're gonna. There'll be some some formatting changes. So the content will still be there. Uh, it'll be a little little more organized, and uh, I think the goal is to also give you more podcasts uh, at a a more frequently defined rate so this will be happening right after the new year Um, early January you can look forward to us and it'll be the same account so you're not going to have to go ahead and subscribe follow whatever Um, it'll just be a, a rename we will now be on Twitter uh, the account has been created. So by the time you're listening to this, you can uh, go ahead and give us a follow. That's at he's done it pod. And uh, from there, we'll be tweeting out the episodes. We'll have other stuff in between rather than just uh, the, the ways that I've gone about communicating the podcast currently. So definitely an exciting time for us. But uh, as we look to wrap up the final Ben and Corey podcast of 2018, let's take a look back at some of the best and worst takes that Ben and I had throughout the past year. And let's start things off with what we consider our worst take. So I will go first. Back in March, during our MLB preview, I said this. It hurts saying the Yankees are going to go to the World Series, but I, I think they're going to win the AL East. I think they're going to knock off the Astros and the ALCS, get revenge from last year, which they almost did. And I think we're going to have uh, the classic Dodgers-Yankees World Series. And then in October, during our MLB playoff preview... As much as I want to say the Red Sox, I just have a hard time buying into them, and I just feel like they'd be too much of a homer pick, and I don't want people to stop listening to this podcast because I pick my favorite teams to win all the time. So predicting the Yankees to uh, you know, make it to the World Series after their offseason uh, and the fact that they won 100 games this year doesn't seem like that egregious of a take. Uh, but the fact that I am a Red Sox fan, and I doubted them heading into the season... And then I saw them win 108 games, best record in the the league, and then come into the playoffs, and I still didn't trust and believe in their chances of winning a World Series to the point where I said that if I picked them to win, it would be a homerism and people would stop listening to us. Just an awful take. I'm happy I was wrong. The Red Sox went on to win the World Series this year. Uh, But I I will definitely throw my hand up and say that was a a bad one on my part and uh, one that I'm glad that I was wrong about.
1: All right. Well, that one was, yeah, that one's that one's pretty bad. But I don't know. My uh, there was such a litany of bad takes that I had this year. It's hard to pick just one. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the one we've got is the most egregious one. This was back in July, right? The uh, oh no, I'm sorry. This is way before that. This was back in no. <laughs> uh, the beginning of March, I guess. I, I don't remember when the podcast really came out. But we were talking about our predictions for the. Uh, For March Madness, and I said this. Wow, and we actually didn't discuss our final four before coming on here, but actually three of mine are exactly the same. I have UNC, Villanova, and Kansas. Not a big surprise, but like I said, I I like my Cinderella here. I have Creighton also in the final four. So obviously (laughs) Creighton got eliminated in the first round and didn't even get close, uh effectively wrecking my bracket but um i don't know there's a guy in my there's a guy in my office who was pretty high on creighton so i thought i had the dark horse um i'm, <laughs> I'm sure i explained that on that podcast episode too but it's uh ended up being one of my worst takes yet
0: yeah in all fairness you did pick them to lose to villanova in the national championship who did end up winning it all uh so you can you can take that one, but yeah, to, to go on about who, uh, who's going to be the Cinderella team and just ruin the brackets and just pick a team that loses in the first round. Definitely, uh, not a good look for you. It was tough, but not all
1: our takes were bad, right, Corey?
0: No, nope, they weren't. So let's end this on a high note with some of our best takes. And there, there might've been like a couple that I could go to, but I'm, think my best take was one from back in September when we were making college football predictions. And finally, number four, kind of a dark horse pick, but I have Notre Dame. I think that their schedule is good enough, having some top 25 teams on it, that they're going to climb in the rankings and get looked at favorably by the college football playoff committee. At the time, I had people tell me I was crazy I was bold for thinking that Notre Dame uh, could make the college football playoff. And what did they proceed to do? Go undefeated and make the college football playoff. Now that in this case, I was wrong because I picked them to be the number four. They want to be in the number three. Uh, I said the, they would be 11 and O heading into the USC game, which they were. And I, I did say that was a game that I thought they would be most likely to lose. Uh, they definitely had some closer calls early in the season, but you know picking alabama and clemson wasn't a stretch picking notre dame certainly was so i'm i'm pretty happy with myself for nailing that one
1: i'm pretty happy for you too Corey, because especially with how uh much uproar there was about notre dame actually making it you know even till the last decision for the final f- uh like the, the the four that make it in like the who's in and all that stuff mm-hmm. so you, i think this is a pretty good a pretty good take on uh on your count uh so My best take is from the World Cup. And this is what I meant when I was talking about, because this was back in July, right? That's when we had the World (laughs) Cup. And uh, so back then, when we were talking about uh, our World Cup predictions, I said this. I personally have France going to the championship against England. I'm uh, I'm really convinced that Mbappe is in great form right now and he can potentially make those magic plays that they need and uh and i have france winning it all against england and while it didn't end up being england facing them england did make it pretty far but france definitely cruised all the way to a world cup victory in uh (laughs) an amazing style and i am I felt pretty good about it the whole time. (laughs) I'm glad I was right about something this year. Um, I don't think that this was that much of a... uh, I mean, it's obviously not an upset. It wasn't really uh, uncommon for people to say that France is going to win, but there were plenty of other powerhouses out there that could have taken it home, including the likes of Belgium, who I think that on paper were at least as good as France. Uh, But that Kylian Mbappe, he's, uh, he's something else, the youngster. And, uh, him and the likes of Paul Pogba and, uh, and many other, uh, Griezmann, uh, brought yeah, the so brought when home we recorded the that podcast, I'm pretty sure football, Brian and I both uh, predicted the, Brazil to win. Um,
0: he might've picked France in the final. I want to say I went with Belgium. So I, I didn't have France winning, so I'll give that to you whether or not other people did. Uh, I do think that was a, a solid prediction for you. Uh, cause I know that, not all of our championship predictions have been correct uh, over this past year. So getting that one was definitely a a uh, smart, smart take for you.
1: I'll take it. I will take it.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's all we have for the final Ben and Corey podcast. Uh, remember to look out for the new He's Done It podcast. And you might be able to stumble upon it if you're, you know, just subscribe to us. Like it's going to be the same link. We're just going to change the name Um, and, uh, you know, give us a a follow on Twitter. As a reminder, it's at he's done it pod. And uh, we look forward to hearing or, you know, to producing more content for you in 2019. So, Ben, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with?
1: I have to for the last episode. Go Niners! That's uh, that's the last thing I'll say.
0: All right. Happy holidays, everyone.